So I won't ask the question if you've ever felt that. What I really want to ask is, have you ever done that? Have you ever actually yelled at God, said, God, I'm mad at you. I love you, but I'm mad at you. Uh, and I love when, the, when his mom is like, sometimes he prayed to God, sometimes he yelled at God. Just tonight he happens to be yelling. Uh, I have. I've been to that place. That's why I love that scene uh, where he's just yelling at God. Uh, I've been through those seasons of the dark night of the soul where it just felt alone and abandoned and frustrated and, and you feel angry and you're angry at God. You're not angry at life or situation, you're, you're angry at God. I mean, how could he let this happen to me? Why would he do this to me? And in the series, my hope has been to try to give you some tools that when you go through a season of pain and loss and suffering, that you'll have the tools to be able to do the things like we talked about last week, to be able to plant in the midst of your tears, the kind of things that will bring, bring about something in your life, that will grow something up in your life, that one day you'll have a song to sing about. That's been my hope, uh, like what Psalm 126 says, that we would you know, pray that the things that are, that are planted in tears will one day uh, reap forth a, a song of joy. That's my hope, is to give you those tools. However, I know that it's a lot easier to deal with the issue of pain, suffering, and loss intellectually and theologically than it is emotionally. In other words, in the midst of my, my suffering, pain, and loss, I understand theologically, I know intellectually that it is all a result of the fallen, broken world we live in, and it's a natural result of the sin and everything else going around us, that these things are going to kind of happen, that God wanted us to live in paradise, but because of the fall, we don't live in paradise, and one day we're all looking forward to the time we'll be in God in heaven again. Revelation 21 says there'll be no more tears, no more crying, no more pain. I get all of that, Steve. I don't need that sermon again, right? I, I know all that stuff. The problem in the midst of pain, suffering, hurt, and loss is that does almost no good when I'm feeling it and emotionally. How do I get through the pain, suffering, and loss emotionally? And I think the reason why we struggle to get through it on an emotional plane is because so often we look to the intellectual, the theological, sort of the sermon moment. And so I would be doing you a disservice if I finished out this series and all I did was just preach to you and preach to you and tell you things you need to know. Really, the only way to sort of understand how to move through pain, suffering, and loss is to do it in the way that they do it in the scriptures. But it's something that we don't really talk about or look at very often. Um, it's what you see every great Bible hero, especially the Old Testament, most all of them, you'll see them at some point express thoughts like this. One third of the Psalms are this kind of Psalm. What we're talking about is, is a lament. It's a lament. It's where you're crying out in frustration and anger to God. And you'll see uh, this happen again and again throughout Scripture. Now, uh, even though one third of the songs in the Bible, so the, the book of Psalms was like the hymn book of the Bible, even though one third of the hymn book in the Bible is laments, uh, in doing some research and study, uh, if you go to CCLI, that's a, a company that everybody has to report. They basically are the licensed management group for all worship music that's sung in America. And every church, including ours, we report back to CCLI every single week what songs we sang in church. And so they, they are able to keep track of how much each song is being sung. What percentage do you think of the songs sung in the American church on, on a typical Sunday are laments? It's less than 5%. A third of the psalms in the Bible are laments. Less than 5% of what is sung in the American church is lament. And thinking about that, I was kind of going over to, like one of my favorite country artists is a guy named Luke Combs. He's written two albums. He's written more laments in two albums than I think Hillsong has in their 30. Okay? Just a couple of the titles, if you want, um, I'm one number away from calling you, because obviously there's something going on in his relationship where they're not talking. It hit me like a hurricane. 
keeping with that same theme, when it rains, it pours. She got the best of me. I'm not the only lonely one. Reasons for why you walked out of my life. Then he talks about anybody who's got things that are going well must have never met you. (laughs) Houston, we have a problem. And the best on the list is, well, beer never broke my heart. And I think what, if you just look at the music, it sends the message I think we all know. It's a lot easier to feel pain and suffering loss in a country bar than it is in a church, right? Because there's sort of this push in, in modern Christianity, the modern church, that you kind of have to have it all together and you're in a room for people who all have it all together. Uh, and it's really hard to express disappointment with God, anger with God, frustration in God without somebody trying to preach a sermon to you telling you that's just not acceptable, that's just not right, and it's really bad theology, Sometimes people won't just let you hurt for a moment. And so where are we left to turn to other than maybe a country bar or friends in low places or whatever it is of your genre? (laughs) But consider these disturbing messages from the Bible that oftentimes we don't realize are even there. Jeremiah, who writes a book in his namesake as well as another book called Lamentations, he says this, You deceived me, Lord, but you know, I let you deceive me. It's like, you know, shame on me for letting you do it. You know, I trusted you. I know I shouldn't have. He says, you know, you just overpowered me and prevailed. And so now I'm ridiculed all day long and everybody laughs at me. Or consider Naomi at the beginning of the book of Ruth. This is right after her two sons have died. She looks to their widows and she says, you know, this is a lot more hard and a lot more bitter for me than it is for you. Do you hear the pain in that? I mean, she's looking at somebody, you know, two girls who've just lost their husbands, and she's comparing her pain to theirs. Ever done that? And you feel like it's a lot worse for me than it is for you. She says, a lot worse for me than it is for you, and here's the funny reason. She basically says, because you guys are pagans, and I have a relationship with God. What does she say? It's a lot worse for me than it is for you, because the hand of the Lord is against me. Like, this God who I have a relationship with is doing this all to me. You should expect this from God, because you don't have a relationship with him. She says, you know, I went away full but now the Lord's bringing me back empty. He's taken everything from me. Or consider Psalm 88. It's a psalm that few of us have ever read. Uh, It's considered to be the saddest chapter in the entire Bible. Uh, Most of us have never read it, but I think almost everybody in this room will know the very last line of it because it was made famous by Simon and Garfunkel. Now you guys are like, hmm. There's no bridge over troubled waters. Just let's read it. He says, I'm overwhelmed with troubles. And my life is drawing near to death. Now, before I go any further, every time he says you, he's talking about God. This is an accusation against God. He says, you have put me in the lowest pit. I'm down in the darkest pit. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You've overwhelmed me with all your waves. You've taken from me my closest friends. You've made me repulsive to everybody. I'm confined and I can't escape. And my eyes are dim with grief. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do spirits that are dead rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the graves? Is your faithfulness talked about amongst destruction? But even now, I cry out to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why do you reject me, Lord? Why do you hide your face from me? You know, from my youth, this has been happening since I was a kid, from my youth, I've suffered and been close to death. From the day I was born, your terrors have come over me, and now I'm in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors are what's destroyed me. 
All day long they surround me like a flood. They've completely engulfed me. You've taken me from my best friend and from my neighbors. Darkness is my closest and only friend. Now y'all guys are getting the Simon and Garfunkel reference. That's the end of the psalm. There wasn't a good part there. Like in the Psalms, you kind of expect him to come back and go, well, but you know, I'm going to trust in God anyway. No, it ends with, darkness is my only friend. It implied there is, because God, you're not. I thought you were, but clearly you're not. When he says, darkness is my only friend, you know what this is like. You ever had those days where the only thing you look forward to is sleeping? Because it's the only thing that will take away any sense of pain, give you any sense of relief. Just, I just want to sleep and not think about this anymore. I don't want to hurt anymore. I don't want to feel anymore. The only friend I have in life right now is the ability to go to sleep. So that's, that's where I'm at. What do we do with passages like this in the Bible? Uh, they, they almost make us uncomfortable just to read them. Uh, I'm going to take a quote that was adapted from Paul Miller's book called A Loving Life in the Midst of a Broken World of Broken Relationships. And he says this, The laments of the Bible whether by Naomi in the book of Ruth, David in the Psalms, or Jeremiah in the book of Lamentations. They make us, with our Western cultural roots, a little nervous about reading about their disrespect for God. Yes, life is hard, but should they really be blaming God for it? Such open passion expressed in laments can send shivers down our stoic-tuned religious sensibilities. And so we insensitively clamp down with our theology and say to Naomi or David or Jeremiah, come on guys, remember, God's orchestrating this. He's in control. Don't blame him for this. He says, their grief and their anger will unsettle us and begin to open doors to the unbelief that we know is deep down in our own life. But we try to quiet this. And so we think that with some good theology, We can just continue to read on and look for the place where God will then come in and swoop in and correct them and correct their bad theology or maybe judge their misconceptions of God. But we read on and that doesn't happen. The psalm ends, the story moves on, and in the absence of God's correction, we try to insert our own. Because this is not how someone's supposed to talk to God. What I want to do this morning is lead you to experience the power of lament. That it would become a part of your practice that when you go through difficult times and hurting times that you would learn to lament. And this isn't, this isn't singing a, a tear in your beer country song. The problem with those songs, they don't have any sense of hope in them whatsoever. But even in a psalm like Psalm 88 that seems to have no sense of hope, there's this reality at the base of it, which is he still has his relationship with God because he's still talking with God. He's mad at God. He feels abandoned by God. He's in the midst of his tears. And he's yelling at God. And so what I want to do this morning as we move through this time is just to, to be able to talk a little bit, but then have you experience lament. And so in just a moment, Alex is going to be leading us in a song of lament. You can just listen along. You can just read the words on the screen. Just have some time to reflect. And what you're going to find as you, as you listen to the song, it's both identifiable and uncomfortable. You'll question whether or not the theology is right, whether it's okay to say those kind of things. But understand, this is a part of what you see throughout Scripture, and it's just simply the lament. The lament.
this pain Sitting in 
feels good just to know that you still hold me close. I'm sitting in my tears, and you're sitting right here. It feels good just to know that you still hold me. Man who lost three sons wrote an article titled The View from a Hearse. He says, I was sitting torn by grief. And someone came to talk to me about God's dealing of why it happened and hope beyond the grave. He just talked and talked and talked. And he said things that I knew were true. I was completely unmoved except to wish that he would go away. And finally he did. Another came and sat beside me. He didn't talk. He didn't ask any leading questions. He just sat beside me for about an hour or so. He listened whenever I said something. He answered briefly, prayed simply, and then he left. I was moved. I was comforted. I was sad to see him go. In a season of lament, we, 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 we don't need a sermon. We don't need biblical truths. Sometimes we just need a lament. There's the purpose of a lament is to be able to express the hurt, the frustration, the disappointment we feel with God and give us an outlet to be able to express it to God. And he no, no more pushes that away than any parent would when their child looks at him and says, I hate you. I don't want anything to do with you. And that moment is it a moment to correct your child and tell them what is disrespectful and not right to say? Or is this a kid who at some point is going to need a hug and need you to listen? And as a parent, are you big enough to allow them just to be able to express their anger? And what would you rather have, an expression of their anger or complete silence? See, the purpose of lament is to allow you to express where you truly are and authentically come to God. That it might give God the opportunity to move you to a place where you can once again trust and see his sovereignty and his character for who he is. And there's something powerful about a song. Especially in a time of pain and suffering and loss because it'll feel like as if God singled you out, like this is the only, like you're the only person who's going through this, like as if you've gotten a raw deal. Everybody else seems to get a free pass and this just seems to be happening to you. I mean, this is, this is where Jeremiah was when he says, you deceived me. This is where Naomi was when she says, God, this is worse for me than anybody else because you're against me. This is where David looks to God. He says, God, you're not my friend. Only darkness is my friend because you've abandoned me. There's these voices that will continually come in and tell you, this is all this is ever going to be. This is your life now. And nobody cares, especially not God. But then when you hear a song of lament, there's like this emotional connection or sense where you realize whoever wrote that song has walked the same road I'm on right now. In other words, there's been somebody else who has also been sitting alone in their tears wondering, God, are you here with me right now? I'm sitting in my tears. I'm sitting in my tears. The reason why maybe... In this moment, you heard somebody else in the room with a sniffle or blowing their nose. 
or wiping an eye. It's because not only did the person who write that song experience what you've experienced, but here's the beauty and the amazing thing about corporate worship and being able to come together to listen. It hits you one by one as you hear the sounds of the room and you see the expressions on the faces of people in the room. The person who wrote the song isn't the only one and you're not the only one. There's lots of people who've been down these same roads. And I love coming into a room where people like Pastor Alex and Pastor April are singing these songs because the longer you hear it, the more you'll realize and know their stories are ones that are full of pain and loss and suffering emotionally and psychologically. And God, why? When? And they'll express to you the laments, some from the other side where they've seen God finally miraculously come through and for some where the pain is still there and still real, they're trying to push through it. And so there's something about corporate worship. There's this idea in, in sociology and in, in politics they call critical mass theory. It's borrowed from, from nuclear physics. And, and the idea is, is, what does it take to create a chain reaction? Something that will happen that will, will lead to another reaction, to another, to another, to another. And they talk about how when a critical mass of people, somewhere between 5 to 25% of a, of a group, begins to experience something or realize something or believe something, when it gets up to a critical mass number, it, it begins to impact everybody else in that area or region or room. And that's why worship is such a powerful experience when you're in a time of lament. To be able to come in and experience and hear the reactions of others in the room, to be able to see somebody on stage leading it with a kind of passion that says you're not alone in the midst of this than singing out words and songs that are moving your emotions to a place that can remind you of just who God is and what he has done in the past. Because you'll have these moments also where you'll cry out to God and say, God, why have you forsaken me? And maybe in that moment where you cry that out, it'll remind you of something you heard one Easter Sunday where somebody preached a message about Jesus on the cross, crying out those same words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in that moment where Jesus is on the cross, he's taking on all the sin of the world, all of the lust, all of the shame, all of the selfishness, all of the greed, every evil deed that's ever been done has all been heaped upon him. And for you and for me, he is a representative of all of our sin, taking it all upon him at that moment. The sum total of all of the burden of sin is being put upon him. And it's moments before he is about to descend into hell for you and for me. And hell is a place of complete silence, aloneness, and separation from everyone, including God. And as he's just about to end up in that place, he says, God, God, why have you forsaken me? Now what you have to know about that phrase, when you feel that moment and you're reminded of Jesus saying that, I want to take you back to one of the last messages Jesus shares with his disciples just before he's going to get arrested, just before he's going to die on the cross, just before he's going to descend into that place. He looks to his disciples, it's recorded for us in John chapter 16, verse 33. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. You will have suffering and pain and loss. You will go through these seasons where you feel like as if everything's being taken from you. Well, you'll wonder, is God here? Is God with me? Can I trust God? And you will feel completely abandoned by God. He says, in this life, you will have trouble. But take heart. 
It's written for us in the past tense, but I think he said it in the present tense, and John's looking back, recording it in the past tense. I think he looks at it and says, but take hold, I'm about to overcome the world and the trouble and everything you're experiencing. John now looks back and he says, the last thing he said, the last message he had for us before he went to the cross, and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, is you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. That's what he just did up there. He was forsaken, so you never would be. He was abandoned by God, so you never will be. And of course, after he rises from the dead, he comes back, and the last thing he says to his disciples to encourage them, he says, I will be with you always. When Isaiah writes about who it is to come and what Jesus will be and what he will be known for, what his name will be, it will be he will be known Emmanuel, God with us. Because he was forsaken, we never would be. We would never be without the presence of God ever again in our life. It's why in the New Testament, they, they begin to write, they look back at the Old Testament, see this is a message that God has carried all the way through, and it reminds us in Hebrews 13, he says, God says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. We can say with confidence, Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. For what can mere mortals ever do to me? The message of lament and the purpose of lament is to remind you that he was forsaken so that you never would be. That even though you feel alone, you feel like God is against you like Naomi, God is not against you, he is for you. Even though you feel deceived, God is still at work, working out the purposes and the plans in your life in that moment. Even though you feel like darkness is your only friend, I'm coming to you in my tears. As the last lament we, we sung together was, but you're sitting right here. This next song is one that during a difficult time in my own life, I played it so much my kids were sick of it. And, and if you listen to sort of the tense of the song, there's this time where the, like, you're singing it to yourself, trying to remind yourself, remind yourself. See, when Jesus says, take heart, he says, I've overcome the world, but take heart. You'll have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. That word, take heart, it's one of those things you just pass over. It's just like, it just sounds like, oh, bless your heart, take heart, whatever. If there's ever something in the Bible that doesn't seem like a, a throwaway word, pause for a second, figure out why it's there. Here, here's what that is. What Jesus is saying is, in this world, you'll have trouble. Intellectually, we understand that, right? We all, we, life's hard, life's tough, we all get that. Intellectual truth, number two, but I've overcome the world. I'm always with you. Yeah, yeah, I get that, I get that. So what's this whole take heart thing? What he's saying there is, is I want you to know this intellectually so you can take this message down to your heart when you don't feel like I am there. When you don't feel like as if my presence is with you, I want you to take this message. This life is hard, but I am with you. I have overcome this world. I was forsaken, so you never will. I want you to take this message to your heart in times where you feel alone. When you feel like I'm against you like Naomi, I want you to know I'm on your side. I'm on your side. In this song, you're going to hear kind of the tense goes, you are on my side, you are on my side, you are on my side. And when it gets towards the end, it says, I can look back and I say, you were on my side side. If you're in a moment right now where your heart is suffering or hurting or wondering, is God here? Will you take to heart that God is for you, not against you? That he was forsaken so that you never will be.
you look at the logos that companies choose for, to represent their company. There's something they want to express. There wants to be something people to think about when they think about that company. And so, like Amazon, it's from A to Z. They got everything from A to Z and with a smile. You put a smile on your face. You got Nike, which is a symbol of victory. Apple is kind of odd. On the one hand, it's this, you know, Newton's enlightenment. At the same time, it's the tree of knowledge. I'm not really sure what that's really saying from Adam and Eve, but you think about what is the like logo for, for followers of Christ. It's a cross. It was for quite a long time in the Roman Empire, it was a picture of suffering and pain and loss. Uh, it was such a brutal, it, it represented the most brutal thing one human could do to another. Uh, they, they would nail somebody to this cross and at least let them, leave them there to die uh, in suffering and agony. They would usually beat them within an inch of their life before they put them there. It would take anywhere from four hours to four days for somebody to finally die on a cross of suffering and pain. And oftentimes, you know the biblical story where they take Jesus down after a couple hours. But oftentimes, they would leave people up there for days and let animals or scavengers come and take them off the cross. And they would, they would do these executions in a public place where you would have to pass by it on your commute into the city. Purposely so, it would strike fear into the heart of everybody who would ever dare to defy the authority of Rome. And so it was this symbol of fear, of pain, of suffering, of devastation, of rejection, of humiliation. But now because of Jesus, when you see the cross, you don't see pain and suffering and fear and rejection. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, it's now a symbol of hope and resurrection and restoration. And so it's become our logo, if you will, for a movement that is after his name because the very thing that was transformed, he's transformed the very thing of suffering and pain and loss into a symbol of hope and restoration and salvation. And it's no wonder because as you go back to the Old Testament, every time there's a message of pain or suffering and loss, every time there's a reason to lament, the very next verse is a message of hope, restoration, or, or salvation. If you look through the Psalms, the reason why Psalm 88 is so unique is the only one where there's not a message of hope, restoration, or, or salvation right after the message of desolation. It's the only one that ends, but darkness is my only friend. You start to read between the lines that he's talking to God in the midst of his suffering and his pain. And back in Psalm 88, he, he says things. Oftentimes in your anger, you will say things that you know are true and you know you're right. And it's sort of this moment where it's like, God, I got you there. What do you have to say about this? And he says right in the middle of Psalm 88, do you remember this? He says, do you show your wonders to the dead? Can, can the dead rise up and praise you? Did your love declare from the grave? Is your faithfulness ever found in destruction? In other words, God, I'm about to die. You don't have any shot for, for hope, salvation, restoration after that. It's, it's gone after that. How will I ever praise you once I die? Because that doesn't happen, God. There's one thing I know about death. So when you're dead, you're dead. It's over. And so with great boldness and confidence, he asks the question of God because he knows the answer. Do dead people praise you? No, they do not. Matthew 27, verse 50 says, And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He then gave up his spirit. And at that moment, 
The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth began to shake, the rocks began to split, and tombs broke open. And the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. And they came up out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection, went into the holy city, and appeared to many people. God, do the dead rise up and praise you? No, they don't. God whispers back, oh, but they will. You just haven't seen it yet. And just because you haven't seen it doesn't mean it's not true. The very cross that was once a symbol of death and pain and suffering and loss will one day be a symbol of hope and resurrection and restoration. And right now, you'll cry out in your pain and say, God, you don't know. You don't know. I know. I know what I'm going through. God will say, well, you think you know, but you've got to trust there's things you can't possibly believe. I can do things that are far beyond your imagination. Such that a psalmist one day cried out, I know death. God says, oh, no, you don't. You look back at those stories of lament that we covered already. Naomi looks at her daughters and says, this is bitter. God's against me. He's not doing anything anymore. It's over. I left with a loss and I come back and I got, I I left with something. I come back with nothing. Oh, no, Naomi, you don't understand. The loving relationship with God that you pass on to Ruth, she's going to end up in the line of Jesus Christ, the Savior of all mankind. You're a part of that story, Naomi. That's where your story ends. I know you can't see that now. We read about it in Matthew, though. David, I know you're in this moment where you know God's anointed you to be the next king, and you're in this moment where you think God's forgotten you, and you're alone, and you're abandoned, and there's nobody there for you anymore, and God doesn't love you. But David, what you can't see now is one day you're going to go on to become the greatest king in Israel. God will refer to you as a man after my own heart, and you too, David, will be a part of the lineage of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, because I want my boy to be in your family. And Jeremiah, who said, God, you deceive me. Just a few chapters later, many of you have adopted it as your life verse. Jeremiah 29, just a few chapters later, he says, he shares with us what God told him after his dark night of the soul. He just says, Jeremiah, I know you think I've deceived you, but I know the plans I have for you. Plans that prosper you, to bring you to a good hope. And I've got a future for you. Can you just trust me in the midst of your lament? This is where this is leading. This is where it goes. God's ultimate purpose in the lament is to move you to a place where you begin to sense and feel the truth of that statement that Jesus said, that even though you have trouble, just behold, I've overcome the world, that you can take this to heart. And when you can take this to heart to realize that even at the cross, God is doing something amazing and miraculous, can move you to do what doesn't make any sense to anybody else. To praise God even in the midst of your hurt. Even in the midst of your pain. I mean, if any one of us went back to the cross, what would we be doing? Would we not be celebrating that moment where Jesus is taking on our sins? What if you could live with foresight the way you live in hindsight? You're looking back, you can see where God's brought you and what he's done, and there's those moments where you you have a song to sing because of, of the things that you sowed in your tears. You are now singing songs of joy. What if you could sing a song of joy even in the midst of your tears? That even when it hurts, you can still praise and cry out to God. 
I want to finish our, our time together of studying and, and looking and experiencing the laments of God to, to move to a lament of praise in the midst of pain. Where even when all it feels like is if there's no way God could ever do anything or make anything out of what you're experiencing, you're trusting God in faith and say, God, even in the midst of this, I know what you're going to do because I know what you're capable of. Because I can look back over my own experiences and my own life and throughout the, the history of humanity and see that your character is good and your love never fails and you are always with me and you will never leave me. You will never forsake me. My God is for me. My God not is, is not against me. And so even when it hurts, I'll still cry out in a prayer and a praise to you.
close out our service this morning, we move into a time of communion. We want to sing a song this morning that we as a church had an opportunity to write a few years back. We, we had an opportunity to put an album out and, and uh, there were six songs on the album. And it's funny that Pastor Steve um, spoke highly of the idea of songs of lament and how rare they can be sometimes in worship. And I remember specifically that this album was written when a lot of us, most of us on the team, were all going through some sort of major trial in our life. And three of the six songs were written from a place of lament. The title of the album being Crash, a lot of people uh, looked at these songs and thought that perhaps it was because we wanted to compare God's grace and God's mercy and his love to a vast ocean, as a lot of people do. But there was this vivid representation that God put upon my heart as I sat upon the beach one day as we were writing these songs and the idea of a wave crashing into a shore. There's this funny thing that happens when a wave crashes into a shore is that when it hits the sand, all of the sand, all of the grains, all of the pebbles, all of whatever is existing in that spot are dispersed in a way where they'll never be the same again. And I remember that being so powerful to me because sometimes when I turn my back on God, it takes a wave crashing into me to disperse my fibers of my being to recognize that he is still God and he is still in control. And one of the songs off of this album called Even When, I remember specifically the lyrics being put into my heart as I was driving down the road and I almost wrecked my vehicle. I called April and and was really excited about what was happening and we wrote this song and it, it seemed very dark, but it's been so powerful, not only in the life of our church, but in those who've had an opportunity to listen to it. And this morning, we want to close out our service in a time of communion as we sing this song. And we're going to recognize communion, that we, we're, we're celebrating the sacrifice that was made for us. That no matter where it is that you are this morning, wherever you're sitting, wherever life is, maybe you've turned your back on God, maybe you're in a place of lament, maybe you're in a place trying to figure out what God is doing. And this opportunity we have every week to take communion together is a reminder that God has already paid the price for our sin. That we can declare victory. And it may not be present in this world, but this world doesn't have a whole lot to offer us. We look forward to our eternal victory with Jesus. And so as we take communion together this morning, the communion elements are going to be passed out down your row. I want to sing this song even when and look over the lyrics and reflect on these lyrics of what God might be doing in your life this morning. That even when it hurts, even when it's dark, that God is still in control.
Make me whole 
Even when my heart begins to wander, you're strong enough to pull me back to you. And even when the darkness tries to blind me, your glory shines beyond what I can see. And even when the thunder tries to shake me, I will rise and know that you control the storm. And even when the war is overwhelming, all creation will declare God, we praise you for this morning. For an opportunity to reflect on our own lives and know that sometimes it's okay to hurt. Sometimes it's okay to be mad at you. This concept of lament that all of us feel at so many various times. God, we thank you for being a God of grace. And a God who reminds us over and over again that even though this world will throw us troubles, we can take heart in knowing that you have overcome it. That we can declare victory in your name. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for what that means to us. We celebrate that sacrifice this morning. It's in your precious name that we pray and we sing today.